The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. My introverted wife will be so crushed that she didn't get to come on stage today. She's in North Platte with our, uh, with our daughter Katie and her husband. They bought a house at the beginning of the month. So she's there helping them do all of those fun new house things. Um, and I'm really glad that you're here today. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. One of the things that we can learn from this encounter with Jesus is there is a way to understand what the proper foundation of your life is. In this man's case, the proper foundation of his life was the Ten Commandments. He completely understood the foundation. But what he missed, what he missed in his own life, was how he was to build upon that foundation. It wasn't enough for the man simply to know what he ought to do. It was supposed to impact his life and supposed to be an overflow from his life. On what are you building your life? And that's a question for everyone. On what are you building your life? It's especially a question for those of you who are middle school students and high school students. On what are you building your life? On whom are you building your life? Why do these things matter to us? Why do we need to be considerate of the thing that we are building our lives upon? Our text today is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 23. If you're following along in U version, all of those verses are in there. If you want to use one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, that's on page 712. And what I really encourage you to do is follow along as we read the text today. So these three questions, on what are you building your life? On whom are you building your life? With what are you building your life? Paul is going to answer these questions 
And he's going to do it in a way where he's going to give three warnings and he's going to give one encouragement from this text today. So let's read 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 23 together. Because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Christ Jesus. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day... Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they're worthless. So don't boast about following a particular human leader. For everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death or the present and the future. Everything belongs to you. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Three warnings, one encouragement. Here's the first warning. As you add to the foundation of Christ, don't build a replacement foundation. As you add to the foundation of Christ, don't build a replacement foundation. When Paul was in Corinth, his focus was on Jesus. If we were to flip back as we've done over the past several weeks and look through Acts 18, we would see this. So Paul spent all of his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. A little bit later in Acts 18, it says, So Paul stayed there for a year and a half teaching the word of God. At the end of Acts 18... When Apollos is in Achaia, where Corinth is the capital, Apollos used the scriptures and explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. The foundation of the faith of the church at Corinth, the foundation of the faith at Westway Christian Church, the foundation of the faith of faithful churches throughout the entire world is on the person of Jesus. He alone is our foundation. And others will, would come along, others will come along, and they will be important in building up the church. They will be faithful 
in building up the church. Pastors and elders and deacons and team leaders and and faithful people in the body, they will build up the church. They will be important in building up the church. But they are not building a new foundation. We must ensure that we do not build a new foundation. We add to the church. We construct on top of the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we want to be very careful in the way that we do this because it's possible for us to add a different foundation. For people to think that the church is built on one person or a group of people or a set of principles or ideas or ideals that aren't the Bible, that aren't on the person of Jesus. When I was in student ministry, there was this saying, I don't remember who, I don't remember where it came from, but there was this saying, and and maybe you've heard it, it's like this, what you win them with is what you win them to. So as I'm ministering and, and serving students, And thinking about how our student ministry is going to function, what are going to be the elements of our student ministry, how are we going to talk about scripture, how are we going to do all these things. It's important to know that what we win people with is what we win them to. So for me, thinking about that in student ministry, this won't shock you, my student ministry was not heavy on fun and games, just wasn't. I think I had the worst student ministry actually in Cedar Rapids. Like when I compared what we were doing and, and, and saw what other ministries were doing in terms of musical talents and musical skills that they had, and I'm not knocking that because I know that we have a tremendous amount of gifting among our students when it comes to music. But that's not the foundation. That's not what Westway's student ministry is built on. It's, it's adding to that foundation. But I saw all of these other student ministries doing all of these other things that frankly just seemed like they were more fun. And I think there are times where we can observe what's taking place in other church bodies. We can see what's taking place in other places and maybe filled with a little bit of jealousy I confess that's a challenge even even when you get to like leading an entire church and not just a student ministry. But one of the things I saw time and time and time and time and time again in student ministry was student ministries building their ministry on something other than the foundation of Christ. And what I began to notice is they started asking me questions like, hey, what's the next big thing you're doing in your student ministry? What's the next thing you're doing in your student ministry? What's the next thing you're doing in your student ministry? And what was so fascinating to me is that would frequently come as soon as their event was done. They they immediately went into this mode where they had to start thinking about what they were going to do next. And this is something that we, we see in the church today. Facebook groups for churches are ripe with, what are you doing next? It's like, dude, Easter was yesterday. Like, why do we have to outdo ourselves? See, what we win people with is what we win people to. And this is a warning for us. We want to win people. We want people to come to Christ for the right reasons, 
for the foundation of Jesus Christ, not on the strength of any one individual person or ministry or certain thing. We want people to come to Christ because Christ is the foundation. And here's a second warning in this text. As you add to the foundation of Christ, you need to choose your material carefully. As you add to the foundation of Christ, we need to choose our material carefully. Paul lists the material for us. He says you can build it with gold, silver, and jewels, or wood, straw, and hay. What Paul is talking about here is that each and every Christian is to be a contributing member of what's being built on the foundation of Christ. We all have something to offer. We all have a part to play in building on the foundation that is the person of Jesus Christ. We spent quite a bit of time this past week in our elders meeting talking about this portion of the text. One of my favorite questions that Dave Robinson ever asks is, and where do we see that within the context of the verse? It's my favorite question. See, that's what it looks like to have a foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like for us to res- respond to the statement, what we win them with is what we win them to. And if we start talking about things that, that aren't in the text, we are coming close. It's possible for us to build on a foundation other than Jesus Christ. So we kind of stopped in the conversation and we went back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians and we said that the way to build with wood, hay, or straw is to be quarrelsome, to be jealous, divisive, and create divisions. If you want to know, if I want to know, the foundation is Jesus Christ and I'm adding something to the church. If I want to know what kind of material am I using? Well, people who use wood, straw, and hay are going to be quarrelsome and jealous. People who build with wood, straw, and hay are going to choose the wisdom of this world over the wisdom of God. Talked about this last week. To build with wood, straw, or hay is to willingly to be to willingly choose to be fed with milk rather than solid food. It's what it looks like to build a church with wood, straw, or hay. To build with wood, straw, and hay is to be a carnal Christian. I like the way Willie talked about that last week. What's funny is Mike said something very similar to that the week before when we were talking about this. Willie walked us through. Mike talked about this in our staff meeting. There are three people people, three kinds of people that this text is talking to, people who aren't believers who don't understand any of it, people who are believers who are faithful, and then there are people who are believers and they are carnal. They are willfully choosing to be disobedient to what God calls them to. That is building the church with wood, hay, and straw. To build with silver, gold, and jewels is to remember that Christ is the foundation. Jesus 
is the foundation. To build with silver, gold, and jewels is to access God's wisdom. When we don't know what to do, we don't try and figure it out on ourselves. We don't try to figure it out on our own. We look to God's wisdom. To build with silver, gold, and jewels is to use the gifts, talents, and skills that God has given you for the good of the body. This is what it looks like for us because we're all, as Christians, whether we are Christians who are believing, living out that lifestyle, or carnal Christians, we are all contributing something to the building of not this physical space, although we do contribute to that. But we understand that the church is much more than this, right? This is, this is a shadow. This is an image for reality. And each one of us as Christians, we are, we are all contributing in some way, shape, or form. And again, the question we have to ask is, with, with what are we using to contribute we need to choose our material carefully because what this text tells us is there's a, there's a fire coming. It uses the phrase judgment day. It says on judgment day, the reality of the material we used will be revealed. Last week, Mike said this, the fire doesn't purify the worker, it tests the workmanship. See, the fire will show us the value of the work. Our construction efforts will be evaluated at some point in the future, and we don't know when that is. At some point in the future, the work will be evaluated. Over the past several weeks, you probably have seen this on a Sunday morning. We just had the roof of this building replaced after the recent hail we had this past summer. And here's reality. It might look really great right now. And you know when it will be evaluated? The next time it rains. The next time it's windy. And the next time we get hail. That's when that roof is going to be evaluated. So we can look at it. Looks great. Looks wonderful. Sturdy. Strong. Until it rains, and then we'll know. And what Paul is talking about here in this text is there is, a, there is a way for us to build on the foundation of the person of Jesus Christ that will not last. It might look great, but when the fire comes, when the storm comes, when judgment comes, it's going to be evaluated. And that will be the only evaluation that matters. This has some interesting things to say. It says, if the work survives, the worker receives a reward. So if we build on the foundation of Christ with silver and gold and jewels, what, what the text is telling us is we're going to receive a reward for that. And then it says something strange. It says, if it doesn't survive, it's burned up. The builder will be saved, but they will suffer loss. Paul seems to be indicating here 
that in God's kingdom, there is some sort of reward system at work. Paul seems to be indicating that on Judgment Day, when our work is evaluated, Paul seems to be indicating that for those whose work survives, they're going to receive a reward. Paul also seems to be indicating that if your work doesn't survive, you will still be saved, but you will not receive the same kind of reward. I want to be careful with this text. This text isn't about losing our salvation. This text isn't about who's going to be a Christian or not be a Christian. What it's about is missing out on the fullness of all that God has to offer. And as we talked about this this past week, some of us might hear this, and, and these are the kind of things like our brains are probably churning right now. And one of the things I love about the way Paul writes is it seems like he, he deliberately writes things so that there would be some questions that would start to spin around in our head. And maybe the question that we're trying to give words to is this. Well, if I'm saved either way, whether I build with silver, gold, or jewels, or if I build with wood, stray, and haw, wood, straw, and hay, and say that 16 times. A little earlier, autocorrect. I love autocorrect. In replace of the word silver in my notes, it had several every single time. See, we're tempted to think that if I'm saved no matter what I do, if I build with silver, gold, or jewels, or if I build with wood, straw, or hay, then why, why make the effort? Why go to the extra effort of ensuring that, that what I'm going to build is going to last? Like we might ask that question. I think that's a, I think that's a reasonable question for us to get to. And as we were discussing about that, my question about that question would be, what does that question say about you? What does asking that question say about me? What does asking that question say about what my idea of salvation is? What does asking that question say about the way that I might take the sacrifice of Jesus for my sins for granted? What does this mean? See, we've been given new life through Christ Jesus. And the question that we have to ask ultimately is if Jesus has saved me, and he has, why would I not want to expend all of my time, all of my effort, and all of my energy in building something that's going to last? Because my guess is in every other aspect of your life, you are not thinking, how can I do this in a way that's going to cut the most corners so when time comes for evaluation, it fails completely? My guess is none of you are asking that question. 
None of you have ever done anything that you've never made something, you've never baked something and thought, I hope this cake tastes the absolute worst. See, we have been given salvation freely. And the question that we have to ask is, why would we not dedicate all of who we are to that thing? Why would we want to cut corners? Why would we want to take shortcuts? Because God is building a temple and he's using these items, silver and gold and jewels, because these would be reminders of what the Old Testament tabernacle was like, of what the Old Testament temple was like. He is deliberately queuing up in them a little bit of a, of a hyperlink to the Old Testament, reminding them of how fantastic the temple was. And then Paul writes that just as in the tabernacle and the temple, God's spirit is dwelling within them. I don't want you to ever forget that when, when Paul or any of the New Testament writers, when he uses the word you, I don't ever want you to forget this. He's not talking to you. He's talking to you. He's talking to a body. He's talking to a group of people. And yes, we are a part of that. So in that way, he is speaking to you. He is speaking to me. And what Paul is saying is the temple is the place where God's spirit dwells. And as followers of Christ, we have the temple, we have the spirit dwelling inside of each one of us. So imagine what happens when we all gather together, when the entire church gathers together in unity and, and mission established on the foundation of Christ. How much more is the spirit present when we are all present together? What Paul is saying here is, while the big C church, that's all of the churches. While the big C church will never be destroyed, individual ones can be. And my guess is, I could probably talk to the vast majority of you in this room, and you have seen individual churches be destroyed. You have seen individual churches fall away from the mission that God sent them on. You will have seen individual churches fall off that foundation. You will have seen individual churches be made of wood and straw and hay. And when the time for the evaluation came, they were burned up. One of the things that's been so sad for me, being in Scotts Bluff for six and a half years, is hearing about how many churches were simply a split from another church. These people got frustrated here, so then they left and they formed this group. And then there's always a group of people that went to the new church where everything was perfect. They split off eventually as well. See, individual churches can be destroyed. False doctrine can destroy the church. It's true. False doctrine, false teachings can destroy the church. But here's the reality. People who are committed to true doctrine, 
who give themselves over to gossip and division and divisiveness, they can destroy a church too. This is why we have talked so much over the past year now about things like our preferences and our convictions and our essentials. And the moment we begin to elevate our preferences to convictions and our convictions to essentials, what we're starting to do is we're starting to build on the firm foundation of Christ with wood and straw and hay. When we get involved in petty disputes, these are the things that escalate and they can destroy churches. And what Paul is telling the church in Corinth is this is a setup to God's judgment. He has so much to offer them. He has so much to talk to them about. And their their deliberate choice to build on the foundation of Christ with wood, straw, and hay is a setup for their destruction. And it doesn't mean they're not going to be saved. It just means they're going to miss out on the reward. And what Paul wants for them to do is to be the kind of place, the kind of church, the kind of body, the kind of temple that everybody wants to go to, that everyone wants to be a part of. Why? Because that's where God's spirit is. This church, the church is a holy thing. It matters to God. See, Jesus died for the church. We need to trust in God's wisdom and not our own wisdom. And we all have ideas about about how the church should be run. We all have our own thoughts about what should happen, what shouldn't happen. And the reality of it is our wisdom is foolish in the light of God's perfect plan. We have to give ourselves over to God's plan, and that's the third warning Paul writes, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by the world standards, you need to become a fool to truly be wise. See, one of the things that I've learned in 18 years of ministry is that there are so many things that I didn't know I didn't know. There are so many things that I didn't know I didn't know. There are a lot of things I wish I didn't know, frankly, about how churches function and how churches operate. Working in a church has has allowed me to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's far more good, but I can tell you when it's bad and when it's ugly, it is brutal. Anne's been using this saying over the past couple weeks. I've seen how the sausage is made by working in a church. And sometimes it is a bloody mess. Sometimes it is brutal. And the challenges that churches face, the very real challenges that churches face, the spiritual battle challenges that churches face, fighting and laboring and contending over the souls of people who don't know Christ. Those things are hard enough. And that only gets harder 
when people within a body try and leverage one another against what's taking place. Try to go out of their way and create issues. See what Paul is saying that the only people who are deceived when we elevate our thoughts, plans, and desires over God's are are our own. We are deceiving ourselves. So there are three warnings. As you add to the foundation of Christ, don't build a replacement foundation. Here's the second one. As you add to the foundation of Christ, choose your material carefully. The third warning. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think that you are wise by the world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. So let's find some hope. Let's be encouraged in this text. God made humans with value and worth. He made us in his image, which means we were meant to be recognized as such. We were, meant for, we were made for glory, not our glory, but his. We were meant to point people to him. That's what he's saying at the end of this text. He's saying, so don't boast about following a particular human leader. For everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death or the present and the future. Everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So we have a purpose We have something that we are to be doing. I don't have to strive for the affirmation and the approval of other people when I have God's. What could you possibly say to me to affirm me or give me approval in comparison to what God has already done to the person of Jesus? I've had some people tell me some really nice things about me. I said some. And none of those things compare to what Jesus has said to me. So if I'm living my life in a way where I demand approval and affirmation of other people when I have God's, why would I do that? Why would I seek that out? Why would I desire that affirmation? As Christians, we have all the approval and affirmation that we need from our Father in heaven. And if some of you, those of you who struggle with affirmation and approval, if you would see that, your life would be so richly blessed. We have everything we need in Christ. See, God's already given us all things. We just need to live in the reality of his glory. And when we do that, when we live in the reality of what he's done, what we're doing is we are constructing with silver and gold and precious jewels. That's how we do it. And your pastors and elders and team leaders, I want you to know we see that in lots of ways here. I want to share a few. So we see people building with silver and gold and jewels. When someone goes to Summit Christian College on family day and is a surrogate grandmother to one of the students. We see it when a high school student stays in the gym and puts chairs on tables after Wednesday at Westway. 
All of her peers are gone in class. And there she is, putting chairs away. We see it when someone gets out of their seat on a Sunday morning and walks over to the family area to sit with a mom and her child who's going cuckoo crazy. That's the kid, not the mom. But the mom is probably doing it up here. One of my favorite things about being up here is to see things like that when that happens. It's incredible. We see it when someone sits with our Embrace Grace girls. Not because they have to, but because they get to. We see it when someone says, I want to serve. I'll serve here. And if somebody calls off, call me and I'll serve there. So this is what it looks like for us to build with silver and gold and jewels. We see it in a big way on Wednesday nights when people who, who've worked all day long in their real jobs come here and at five o'clock, we don't have a time clock, but it's a metaphor. This past week, I got to sit at the end of the hallway on Wednesday night and I watched as person after person after person after person walked in the door ready to be in children's ministry and student ministry and serve in the kitchen and lead a small group and clean up and like metaphorically like punch back in because the day was starting. We see it in the ways people drive others to and from appointments by gift cards help them with repairs to their homes and their vehicles. We see it when people share scripture with one another and pray with one another. I want to encourage you. If these are things, if you're not seeing these things, I want to gently encourage you to be a part of what's happening and open your eyes and watch what takes place when a church is built on things that matter. Because there's an evaluation day coming and we are not here to build a church with the things like straw, wood, and hay. We are here to build a church upon things that matter. The most basic of ways that we submit to this and the most basic of ways that we build on the foundation that is the person of Jesus is to be immersed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this morning, Catherine Johnson has told us that she would like to be immersed today. So she's going to come up and share with us. You're allowed to clap. You're allowed to welcome her to the stage. <clears throat> so we asked Catherine this question when she shared with us that she would like to be baptized. Catherine, why would you like to be baptized? So would you share that with our body? I've actually wanted to be baptized for years, but I've never had the guts to. When I was little, my mom had me like say the words and repeat after her and accept Christ into my life. But I was little enough not to know what was going on. These last couple of years, I had accepted that he was there, but I didn't actually know him. He has kept showing up lately and has helped me gotten through 
all of the trouble that the world gives you. Really, he has helped me grow and become the better person I am now. That's why I've decided to accept Christ into my life and get baptized today. Amen. So, Catherine, you can just repeat after me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for Catherine. I'm thankful for the work that you have done and are doing and are going to do in her life. I pray that this would be an opportunity, that she would take this opportunity to be the beginning of more silver and more gold and more jewels on the foundation that is your son, Jesus. I pray that those who have been considering this same choice would be willing to submit themselves to your desire and your design for their life. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.